The word gospel translates to news that brings joy. But this isn't just any news. A gospel is news that changes a life forever. After being invaded and enslaved by Persia, Greece won two decisive battles at Marathon and Solnus. The Greeks sent out heralds, also called evangelists, to proclaim the good news to the cities. We have fought for you, we have won, and now you're no longer slaves, you're free. The reality is that we are all slaves, slaves to sin and slaves to death. We are slaves in need of good news. Enter Jesus, God's Son, fully God, fully man, bringing news that would change our lives forever. His news was this, I am the divine, come to you to do what you could not do for yourself. I will take what you deserve so you can have what I deserve. You have no idea how much it will cost me, but you also cannot imagine the depths of my love for you. It is a gift that I give freely, so repent. Repent from all the ways you've run from me and follow me. Follow me because I am the only way to eternal life. Follow me because I'm the savior you've been looking for. Follow me because I have authority over everything, yet I have humbled myself for you. Follow me because I died on a cross for you, because I'm your true love and your true life. This is my good news for you. This is my gospel that you have been saved by grace and that you are slaves no more. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Belong. We're so glad that you're with us on this last Sunday in August. Can you believe it? The month of August has already come, and now it's gone. Next Sunday is the 1st of September, and it's just crazy how fast this um, year is going by. We just finished up 21 days of prayer, and I don't know about you, but it was exhausting. It was extremely tiring, but I love the benefit that we get from it, and, and I can't wait to hear the testimonies from what God has done in everyone's life. So if God has done something already, you can see the results of that, please send us an email, info at belongdfw.com, because we love to hear the stories. And we see so many people from so many different places are actually um, jumping in and listening and watching and all that stuff. So please let us know what's going on with you, because we want to be there with you and for you and to pray with you as we go on this path together. Well, as you know, we have been reading through the book of Matthew, and that's the challenge, and I understand it's a big ask, and I'm actually listening to it um, off of the iTunes um, where you can listen to the Word of God. It's, it's the entire Bible from Stephen B. Stevens. You can buy it and download it and just listen to it. It's up on our website. If you haven't got it, you can go listen to it, and, and it's a lot easier, especially as you're commuting back and forth from work or, you know, whatever you've got going on, or even as you're, you know, cooking dinner, you can have it playing in the background. It's a great, great thing. But this coming week, starting next Sunday, we're going to move to the book of Mark. But today we're still in the book of Matthew, and we're going to use several different scriptures. And if this is your first time joining us, the, the thing that I really felt from the Lord for us to do is that we would read through the book of Matthew as many times in this month as we could. So if it's possible to read through or listen, it's about two hours so to listen to it. So it's a lot. I understand that. That's why I know it's a big ask. But if, if it takes you two days, if it takes you a week, but just to, to, to read through it or listen to it and then start over and do it again, because the great thing that I believe that God wants us to know is who he truly is and not what somebody else has told us. And even as I'm doing this, I, I'm hearing a lot of continuity things that I never, ever put together because most of what you hear in preaching and messages is this scripture pulled out here and this scripture pulled out here. And, and it, while that's great and there's wonderful, and I do it myself, so I'm not complaining about that. Very oftentimes we can miss what the continuity and how it's all flowing together. So I'm excited about today's message. And it actually came to me um, Sunday, last Sunday, right after the message. And it was just uh, the way I get it is just download and just boom, it's right there. And I, I had a difficult time going to sleep because I got so excited about the next message. So here we are. We're going to look at a topic that most people do not want to hear the word and that is sin. 
And most people have a religious concept and conception of what sin is. And it's this dirty, wet blanket, this finger shaking in your face kind of thing. And it's something most people would just rather not talk about. And, and I, I, if you're wanting to just turn off the podcast or anything right now because you're that topic, hold on. It's probably not going to be the message that you think. But just hang on with me. And Michael's giving me a little bit of grief because there's a lot more than Matthew scriptures this week. But you're going to see we are going to actually land up with some scriptures in Matthew as we see how it goes. So if you'll open your Bibles with me, it's going to be on the screen behind me, to Genesis chapter 4, starting with verse 6. And here we see the story of Cain and Abel. And God is asking Cain, why he's so upset. And here it says in verse 6, Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? Have you ever seen someone who is angry? And you can tell by their face that they're not having a good day. That is nothing new. Even the, the first people, the number four person ever created is Cain. Actually, he's the third person. And, and you know, he, here he is sitting there. And he can tell on his face that he's dejected and upset and all this stuff. And verse 7, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. And, and we, I highlighted a lot of this because I want us to see the progression that's here. And this is the same today, even though this is in the very beginning of your Bible, the third person ever created, first person actually born, all right, because Adam and Eve were created and then Cain was born. So the first born of anyone, and he's sitting here and God is saying at the beginning of verse 7, you will be accepted if you do what is right. And that, that's the same thing. Hey, if you keep doing the right things, your life is going to be a whole lot easier on you. But if you don't, then watch out. But I love the second part of this because it just lays it out so perfect. Sin is crouching at the door. I love to scare my family and people that I count really close to. If I ever scare you, you know that means I hold you in a very high regard. Probably a kind of regard you don't want to be held in because I love to scare people. And, and I get the image of a doorway and you're just like crouched down and you're just ready. You're just waiting. You can hear them coming and you can't wait to go Wah! and just jump out and scare them. Like, <laughs> That's what we see that sin is doing at our door and it's eager to control you. See, it's not just wanting to scare you and go, ha ha ha, that was funny, but he wants to actually take you out. But you must subdue it. And, and one point that I want to just make here is most people or many people I will say, say, well, the devil made me do it, or I wish God would help me with this. No, no, no. There, God is not going to help you subdue it. That is something that is a discipline issue that we have to do on, or I have to do on my own. I'm the only one who can discipline me, and you're the only one who can discipline you. It doesn't change throughout history that even in the Apostle Paul is talking about this in Romans 7, verse 18, he says, and I'll all I know is nothing good lives in me. That is it, my sinful nature. And that is the same for every one of us. I want to do what is right, but I can't. It's so many people that we talk to, and maybe you can relate to that yourself. You're like, man, I don't want to make bad choices. I don't want to make mistakes. I really want to do what's right. I just can't. And it's, it's not even left there. He goes on to verse 19. He goes, I want to do what's good, but I don't. And I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Another translation of that says, um, I know what I shouldn't do, but I do that. And I know what I should be doing, but I don't do that. Or I find myself doing what I know I shouldn't be doing. Have you ever woken up, um, maybe it's even the day after, and you're like, oh man, why did I lose my cool yesterday? Why did I let those words come out of my mouth? Why did I take those actions last night? See, we all have the same struggle. Cain, the firstborn, all the way now to Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the Bible, all have the same problem. And sin in its most de basic definition is, Doing what you know is wrong 
or not knowing what you know, not doing what you know is right. So you know what you're supposed to do, but you just don't do it for whatever reason. Or you know what you should be doing, and you don't do that. But in the literal translation in the Bible where it says sin, it literally means to miss the mark. And I've got the Greek word here for you. I am not going to try and pronounce it. But this is what it literally means in the Greek, to miss the mark or to do wrong or to sin, but to miss the mark. And I've talked to this at great length, so I'm not going to belabor this point, but it literally means like you're throwing darts and, and you just fall short. And another place it says we all fall, fall short of the glory of God. That His standard is so up here, and we're all falling short. It's like that dart being thrown there. But you see, we all have this situation of missing the mark. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is talking. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 17. Jesus is talking in verse 3. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And, and if he repents, forgive him. And that word um, sin is literally the Greek word I just showed you that means to miss the mark. If your brother misses the mark with you, rebuke him. But again, rebuking, we have in our mind this image that I'm going to go confront you and I'm going to say, dee, 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 dee. look what you did to me. But it literally means, we have another Greek word for you, means to honor or to mete out due measure. To honor? If someone misses the mark with me, they do something that is against me. I am to honor them by going to them and to bring and do measure to say, hey, listen, this is what's going on. Verse 4, continue on. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent or I turn around or I've had a change of mind. We looked at repent. That word literally means to change your mind or your purpose. You must forgive him. Then the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. This, this is one of the few scriptures that just really cracks me up every time I read it. God's saying, hey, if they come back seven times every day and they repent and they say, hey, I'm wrong, please forgive me or I'm changing my mind about what I said. Like when those words come out of your mouth, you're like, oh, why did I say that? And you have to go back and grab those words in, but you can't. And you come back and say, hey, I'm sorry. You got to forgive them. And their immediate response is increase our faith like, God, I don't know how in the world I could do that. But maybe you're like me and you find yourself in that same position. We see the same interchange in Matthew. Here we are. We're landing in the book of Matthew like I told you we would. In Matthew 18, and it says the same thing. And if you go and compare the two, you'll see that the storylines are running parallel. But there's different perspective that's coming from Matthew. Here it is. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. In other words, don't do this in front of everybody. Hey, just go to him in private and say, hey, when you said that, that really bothered me. When you did this, that really caused me an issue. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. So it's not just he said, he said, or he said, she said, or however you can keep going through all the combinations we could possibly go through there. But, but it's actually lined out there and it's done biblically as we see here. Verse 17, and if he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And I love as to you. And, and it's crazy. You know, Jesus took someone who was a tax collector and they had all the struggle with Matthew. And, and Matthew's writing this is just even more funny. Um, and they, they have this struggle because Matthew's a tax collector. He's the worst of the worst. It's the lowest of the social um, status from where they're standing because they, they were wealthy from doing the tax collecting for Rome. But they were actually Jewish citizens. And here he's saying if, if they, this person offends you, if there's a problem and they won't reconcile it with you, then they'll be like to you, a Gentile, which they hated Gentiles, and a tax collector, which is the worst of the worst. So that's pretty funny that Jesus is using that analogy. Verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. 
So here Jesus is talking about forgiveness and talking about going to your brother in private. And if it doesn't work, the, the steps of escalation that you go in. The next scripture is what you bind on earth, what you loose on earth. But I want you to see something because I believe that so many times, um, uh, I, I'm not even going to put a characterization that I want to on it, but some people that are talking about the gospel and Christianity, I'll say it generically enough that way, they want to say that you can just claim whatever and you can bind whatever and you can loose whatever and just because you say it, it's got to happen. But I want you to see these three, four little words here. Shall have been. Shall have been. In other words, that's something you're seeing that's happened in heaven. You're not going to sit there and bind something that isn't bound in heaven. It isn't that if I bind it here, then it's just automatically going to happen up there because I'm the king of the world. It's the exact opposite, I believe. We have to be aligning, bringing heaven down to earth. And what we see has been bound in heaven. Then I have the authority to bind it. It, whatever is loosed in heaven, I have the authority to loose it here. Verse 19, and again I say to you, if, any, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. So we need a witness of two or three people if we're going to have this confrontation. Look, it's still talking about the same thing. And then you bring it, you have these this lines of escalation. And then because you're going to bind something that's in, already bound in heaven or loose something that's already loose in heaven, and if any two of you agree, you're like, okay, let's, let's look at all the facts. Yep, here we are. I'm in agreement. But it also says about anything. So as we just finished 21 days of prayer, the power that is there is for you to send in your prayer request. And it doesn't stop. We don't stop praying because it's not 21 days of prayer anymore. We still pray over every request that we get and the connection cards and the contacts and the different things, and we want to still stay there with you. We're just not meeting at six o'clock in the morning and live streaming so we can all miss a lot of sleep and, you know, focus on it, but we're still going to continue. But that's the power when you have a small group, when you have people that you're in relationship with, that you say, hey, I'm believing for this. Will you agree with me? And they say, I will agree with you. And you maybe even grab hands and say, okay, Father, I, I pray over this situation. And you're like, I agree in Jesus' name. It's not a formula. It's not a magical, you know, rubbing the genie bottle and it's going to happen to you. But look at the next verse. For where two or three have gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. So when two or three people get together, that doesn't automatically make it a godly event. And Jesus will be there with you personally, but he's not like getting all excited in the midst of it. But man, let me tell you, when you have two people, even two people, that's why I love the way we do small groups, that it's not about having how many people you can have. Two people, three people, grab hands. Don't have to grab hands. Just say, Father, we're gathering today in your name. If that's a game of Frisbee, if that's a game of basketball, whatever, it says, then I am in their midst, but it's gathered in his name. But continuing on, I don't want to get too tripped up on that. I love that, though. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And so what we see here between the previous verse and here, even though it's in the same, they're tracking in the same thing, Jesus had said in another place that we read, if your brother sins against you seven times and repents, seven times you have to forgive him. So Matthew, sorry, Peter is coming to him and saying, Lord, how often now? So seven times, up to seven times? And here's the great parody that we see in the scriptures. And I love listening to this as, I, as I'm going through this month. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And I, I think that the, the problem that we all have as human beings, as people, is we try to put a number. It's like, okay, um, I'm going to, seven times, okay, I'm counting. That was one, that was two, that was three, but man, seven's coming. I'm going to, like, you get eight times, man, I'm going to lay you out. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you're missing the point. It's not about keeping track. 
Because I'm going to tell you this, this outrageous number that you couldn't even try and keep track of. How difficult would it be for somebody to offend you 490 times in a day? 70 times 7. How impossible would that be for you to even keep track of that? But how many times in, in, an, in within a 24-hour period, I should have done that math because that would be a really cool stat to give you. Um, but how, how many times would that have been? It would just be like that they're purposely trying to do it in Jesus. Like even then, that's not the point. But you see, we see sin is not only to God, but it's also when people do something to us. And I love how in, in the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, as we call it, that God says, forgive us today as we forgive others. So the sin that we're looking at, the missing the mark, is not only where we miss the mark falling short with God, but it's also in our um, horizontal relationships between our brothers and our sisters, our family. It's real easy to look at it and say, God, I just ask you to forgive me because I really made a big mistake and I shouldn't have done that. Thank you, Lord. I receive your forgiveness. It's more difficult when it's your spouse that's coming and saying, hey, and I, I don't have personal experience of this because my wife is, you know, that's just not, that's not something we struggle with. And I thank God for that. But, uh, I do know a lot of people that this is a struggle or a, a sibling or a parent-child or a, all these different close relationships. And it's like, man, you betrayed me. You had this problem. And how is this even there? And then you're like, oh, I don't want to forgive you. I don't want to walk this thing out with you. I'd rather just click off, click the next button, walk away. But you see, when it comes to our sin, we all know that we miss it. I've never met anybody that tries to come off that they are completely blameless, that they are completely just, they never make a mistake. We all know we make mistakes. But I was even talking to somebody this week again, and, and the conversation came up, and, and I, I don't have the depth of the relationship with them to really come back and, and really you know, dispute this and come against this. And I will one day. But they said, you know, I know I do some wrong, but I try and do some good, and, and I try to do this much good, and I know I do make mistakes, but I'm just hoping that in the end I, it, I will have done more good than I do bad. And Pastor Chris calls that the 51% rule. That people hope that, man, I just hope I do 1% better good than I do bad, and then that's what it'll take, and then I'll be able to go to heaven. And yet it doesn't have anything to do with it. It's actually... We can sin 100% and do little good, but when we accept Christ, he wipes that all out. Or we could just done 1% bad and 99% good, and it's still the same penalty, for we all have sinned. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. See, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And, and I'm going to leave this up here for one second because I want to break this down really. This is a really deep scripture for us to look at. God made Christ. So God sent his son to the earth. For God so loved the world, he sent his son who had never sinned. So the whole time he's in heaven, he's never sinned. The whole time he's here on the earth, he has not sinned. And here he is perfect, never having sinned, but he's to be the offering for our sins. So he's taking on himself what I have done so that I can walk in freedom. Look at that so that we could be made right with God. There's no way to be right with God without having a perfect sacrifice, and we have no way to make that perfect sacrifice, and yet it's through Christ. So here we find that we have this issue that we're going to miss the mark, and Jesus, who never missed the mark, came to be that offering for our sin. And, and I often talk about that, and I want us to see that clearly God made Jesus that sacrifice. Look in 1 John 
chapter 4, starting with verse 7. Beloved, it says, let us love one another, for love is from God. I just told you, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent. And everyone who loves is born of God, look at this, and knows God. Let us love because we know God. We talk a lot about knowing God around here because it's our core value. It's number one. Because you're not going to progress anywhere in a relationship until you know somebody and you continue to get to know them. But let us love. So that means as I get to know God, I'm getting to have his nature in the same way he loves the world and he loved me when I didn't deserve it. He then loves that same love then translates into us. Now I'm born of God. That is the born-again process that we, we so often talk about when you say the prayer and ask God. He says, hey, your old previous life is now being born again as a new creature, a new life that you live in. And that may sound religious. That may sound churchy, and I don't mean it to be. And don't let that stumble you up if you're still checking things out. Just understand that there is something that is happening. You come alive inside when you accept God. And you know God. Verse 8 says, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So if you say you know God and yet you don't have love flowing in your life, Scripture's pretty clear, you don't really know God. You don't have this depth of relationship that he's changed you into his image because when you've been in his presence, when you've experienced him, when you've really got to know him, then you're going to have the same characteristics he does. Verse 9, for this love, the love of God is manifested in us. And, and I put that word manifested, highlighted, because I want you to see. It means to make visible or to make clear. Let me make it clear to you, he's saying. By this love of God is clear, it's made clear, look at this, in us. Can I go back to that previous scripture? In us, not in somebody else. Not just in the pastors of the world, not just in the people who have this high up, uh, wherever you want to put somebody else on a pedestal. I'm not putting anyone on a pedestal. It's manifested in us, in every single one of us, in that God sent his only begotten son. Same thing I said in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Here, God has sent his only begotten son, look at this, into the world. Where? We're going to look at this a lot. Into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 9 in the NIV says, This is how God showed his love amongst us, that he sent his one and only son into the world, that we might live through him. Verse 10, This love... God's love, not my love, not my conditional love. If you're good for me, I'll be good for you. But God's love, this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, God sent his son because he loved us. He sent him into the world. Continue on in the NASB, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So God's love is so great to us that he sent his son into the world. And if God has loved us that much, then we also should love one another. Guess where? In the world. Verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another... God abides in us, and his perfect love is perfected in us. But look at that. It's conditional. If we, if we love one another, if we have a relationship knowing God, and we love one another, then God is living inside of us. He's abiding. He's hanging out. And then his love is perfected. It's come to completion. In fact, it's, it's a process. And I have the screen of the Greek word for that one too. It means to bring to an end. It doesn't mean the completed work. It means I'm on the road to doing this. It means to complete. It's actually from the, the, the 
previous Greek word you see here from 5046, uh, which means the completed work. But this is showing the progress of it. If we can go back to that previous one. His love is perfected in us. It's this process. It doesn't happen overnight. In fact, we may start off pretty far off from being the completed work. But that is still what he's working on in our lives, not what I'm working on. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. We have seen and testified. This is where they're giving us their personal thing. They were there. They saw Jesus. He goes, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, whoever, at the end of every service, we give you an opportunity to accept Christ and profess him. Then when you talk to somebody after that, say, hey, the most amazing thing happened to me this weekend. I accepted Christ. Tell him that he's the Son of God. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we're seeing this relationship that's going on with God, that I am now in with him, I'm hanging with him, and he's also hanging with me. Verse 16, we have come to know and believe that the love which God has for us, God is love, and the one who abides in love, the one who hangs out with God and just is really getting this transformation going on abides in God and God abides in him. Look at this, verse 17. This was all laying the table for here. By this love, by this, love is perfected with us. That, that perfection that's going on, it's that constant process that's going on there. Love is perfected in us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. When God says, hey, what'd you do? This is day of judgment. What'd you do with what I gave you? I gave you this, this role. I gave you this purpose. I gave you a reason to make a difference. What'd you do? We may have confidence because as he is, so are we. But now let me just stop right there. Because I've heard this quoted so many times. But they're, the, very often it's, it's just quoting that as he is, so are we. But let me show you. It's because of his love in the process of us that I become like him and that I'm loving someone else. But where? As he is, so are we in this world. God sent his son into the world. He loved us so much that he sent his son into the world. He loves other people so much that he now sends us into the world. Because as he, Jesus, is, so also are we in this world. It's not a trying to get out of here. It's not an escape plan. Hey, I want to accept Jesus because I want to get out of here and go to heaven. But how was Jesus? What example of love did he reveal to us? Remember one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the woman caught in adultery. It's the first message that we, we did as a church, and it's a great, I love the, the demonstration of God in, in this whole thing. And you'll recall, and I'm not going to retell the story for the sake of time, but this woman was caught, I believe, set up in the act of committing adultery. The crime, one translation even says. And the crime, the payment of that crime was death by stoning. And here, they tried to set up Jesus. They pulled her. It says, in the very act, I believe she was either naked or very, very scantily clothed. And they threw her down to make this sensational demonstration to Jesus and said, what do we do? Because the law of Moses says she, puts, she should be put to death. And, and she thinks this is the end of the road. And he wrote in the sand. And I, I ended up telling more of the story than I planned to. But he wrote in the sand, and, and, he, and he's, we don't know what he wrote in the sand, but I want to know what he wrote in the sand. Maybe that's one of the questions I have when I get to heaven. Wait, Jesus, what did you write in the sand? Because can we have that replay? Because I want to see. And by the way, can you teach me how to, to read Hebrew while you're at it? Because I need to read what you wrote. But um, that made me laugh. But as he's there, he's caught with her, and he's so gentle with her. And he asks her, woman, where's your accusers? And I believe she was like in the fetal position, scared, ready for the last moments of her life. She looked up and she said, they're gone, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. And then in verse eight, 11 of John chapter 8, 
he said in the NLT, it says, go and sin no more. In the NIV, it says, go now and leave your life of sin. And that word sin in both places literally means you missed the mark. Hey, you're not even close to hitting the mark, maybe. Because another place we looked at recently says, hey, her sins, though, they're many. Man, you did a really good job as a sinner. He's like, hey, here's your opportunity to change your life. Where are your accusers? Verse 11 He says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And can I tell you this morning, For if as I was describing all the different things of sin earlier, and you may be going, oh my gosh, I want to just click off right now. I don't want to listen to the rest of this. That's the same words that Jesus has for you, has for me. Hey, you may have made some mistakes. You may have made a whole bunch of mistakes. You you may have done a bunch of your sins, though there are many, like he's talking about her. His words are still today. I don't condemn you. Go and don't miss the mark anymore. But I want us to see a couple of things here that I've I brought up previously. That Jesus dealt with her privately. Everybody else was already gone before Jesus even talks to her. And he confronts our sin in a personal and not humiliating way. He will come to us, and it's always the way out. He's not, if you're down on your luck, if you're down in your sin, if you're down in all this condemnation that you're feeling like, oh, man, I really missed it. I really messed it up this time. He's still there with the hand to help you up. He didn't belittle her or put her down, but he showed her a way out. Can I tell you something? Jesus knows what you were doing last night, with whom you were doing it. And he still says, you're welcome here. And he knew where you were going to be every day of your life. He knew every sin you were going to do. And he still said, I choose you. In fact, he says, let me into your life. I'll work on it. And I'll help you to leave your life of sin. Remembering that sin means missing the mark. Can I say a, a different twists on that. Missing the mark, how about missing it? You missed it. Hey, the the target's over here, and you missed it. But what is your mark? What is the mark that you're trying to hit that if you either hit it or you don't hit it? You missed the mark or you hit the mark. And the big reveal for me this week is that we have discipleship that's going on, that missing it begins with that discipleship, that it's the, the I, I just got a relationship, I just got introduced to Jesus, so it's where I obviously know I've made mistakes and, I, and I'm just not able to hit the mark right. But it goes on. And as we continue to grow, the, the things as we continue to have growth in ourselves spiritually, you, you're going to not struggle with the same things you struggled with, let's say, 20 years ago. But that doesn't make us perfect. But can I suggest to you that even where the Apostle Paul described earlier, changing from, I don't, want, I don't do what I know I'm supposed to do and the things I know I'm supposed to not do, those are the things I find myself doing. I don't believe that was his entire life. I believe that was in the beginning, clearly. But the closer you get to God, the more you're able to let this transformation happen to you. As we grow into knowing God, missing the mark looks different. Certainly, we can still fall. All of us still are in need of a Savior. I'm at the beginning of that line. I'm at the top of the list. We will always need a Savior. I'm not talking about arriving and find this place where you don't sin anymore. I'm not saying any of that. But I'm saying our mark may change, and it's not just about, hey, I didn't murder anybody this week. It's not about, hey, I didn't um, I'll go through all the Ten Commandments, all the different things that God wants for us. Maybe we get this point that we reach that we're able to do those things as then what? Well, then our mark comes in, what have you done to be more like Jesus? Where it says that as we are, as he is, so are we in this world, that doesn't mean that I can just sit back and watch TV because I've arrived. But can I suggest you, it now involves obedience to be to others as Jesus was to me. I have to reach out 
And where God's calling me to reach out, he's calling every one of us to reach out. And if I don't do that, that is also missing it. Missing the mark, the heart of God for people. When we were still in Florida, one of my great friends, Pastor Joe Cadena, was preaching a message, and I just led worship, and, and I don't talk about this story very often because it's very personal to me. He was up there preaching, and, and I'm back in the back still winding down from the high and the adrenaline rush from leading worship and, and just making sure all the tech stuff was working right. And as I'm sitting back there, just checking on everything and making sure the recording's going and just all the technical stuff that's going on. I'm listening to what he's saying, but I'm not like sitting down with taking notes. And he said these words and he stopped me dead in my track. And he has a particular truck at the time with the big um, So Libre or I'm Free logo on the back. And everybody knew his truck in town. I mean, it's a pretty good sized area, but everyone knew his truck. There's no other truck like it. So when you see him going down the road, you know that's Pastor Dana. And, and he said these words. He says, hey, everybody knows my truck. And if you're going down 301, which is a pretty significant road in Bradenton, and you see my truck setting outside the 301 bar, am I sinning? He stopped me dead in my tracks. And I didn't say anything out loud. But I did in my mind go, yes? Then he said these words. If you see my truck going down 301, it's at the 301 bar, and the door's open, and you see me inside. So somebody hasn't barred my truck but you see me in there, am I sinning? And I'm like, yes, again, inside myself. And he goes, so take it another step. You go down 301, you see my truck outside the 301 bar, you, the door's cracked, you see I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting there, and there's a beverage in front of me. Am I sinning? And inside of me, I'm screaming, yes, why do you keep asking this? And then he went on to say, is it possible to be in a place of sin and not sin? My mind was blown. Because I would have said before this message that he gave, no, it's not possible to be in a place of sin. But you see, God has called us to be in places where sinners are. God isn't trying to get us just to be over here, the exclusive ones that have made it. That now you're saved, or you are this, or you're that, and in this exclusive club, and no one's welcome unless you're perfect. No one would make it if we were. But look at this in John 17, verse 15. Jesus is telling us what his prayer is for us. He goes, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. He's praying to God about me, and he's praying about you. He's saying, Father, my prayer is not that you take them out of this world but that you protect them from the evil one. Look at verse 16. They're not of this world, even as I am not of it. But we are living in the world. The big switch is off. Look at this. Jesus said, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We're supposed to be this example of Jesus to people in the world. For God so loved the world that he sent. For God so loved Kevin that he sent Jesus. But now when Kevin becomes like Jesus, for God so loved those people around me that he sent Kevin. Put your name in that blank. For God so loved those people around you. He wants you to be like Jesus. There's a saying that I heard, and, and we've had so many services with 21 days of prayer, so I can't remember if I said this on Sunday or if this was one of the days of prayer. So if, if you've heard it before, it's a great thing. You can hear it again right now. It said that 1% of people will read the Bible and find out who God is. 99% of people will find out who God is through you, through me. So they're going to look and to get this image of who God is by how you are, how I am. Verse 17 continues. He says, sanctify them by the truth, and your word is the truth. So if I can just give that to you in another format, the word um, um, sanctify literally means to make holy or to consecrate. But Jesus prayed for you and me 
That God will make us holy and consecrated by the truth, which is the Word of God. That's why we read the Bible. That's why it's important for the first 15 that you have a worship song for the first five minutes and you read five minutes of, of the one-year Bible for what is the Bible for today. Or maybe it's a song or a proverb or whatever. And then you spend five minutes worship, I mean, um, pray, uh, praying. So we got worship, then the Word, and then praying. See, because Jesus prayed for you and me that we would have this different life life that's consecrated by reading the Word of God. So let me ask you this as we're closing. What has God entrusted to you to do? He sent Jesus to be an example. He's sending you and He's sending me to be an example. Rewind all the way to the beginning of the Bible again into Genesis chapter 2. The earth has just been created by God and he's put all of the water over here and the land over here and he's, he's created this fertile ground that can go and he's got everything there. And verse 5 says, And yet no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord had not sent the rain and there was no one to work the ground. So the earth in the beginning before all this happened, it's ready to go. It's busting at the seams to, to let stuff grow. And, and the seeds are there, and, but nothing has popped up yet. There wasn't a shrub. There wasn't. It was just all dirt everywhere you see, okay? There's water and there's dirt. God had already spoken it, but it had not happened yet because of two things. Number one, God had not sent the rain, and there was no one to work the ground. Isn't that amazing? God wasn't sending the rain until there was someone to work the ground. What ground is it God has called you to? Are you being that person? Are you being the, the diligent servant that is there? My wife and I just describe it as a garden where we, we believe God's called us to do our intentionality. And, and that garden is dirt. And, and it's my job to till that dirt and to go and, and to be there and to work that ground. It's God's job to send the rain. But even in Genesis, it says that God wasn't allowing the harvest, wasn't allowing the seeds to grow up because he hadn't sent the rain. And there wasn't anybody to work it. So where's your garden? What area is yours? Where's your mark? Are you missing the mark? Or are you right on target? See, all of us were made. You were created to make a difference. Please bow your heads with me. I understand that today's message is really broad. And if you've never come to the place in life to acknowledge that you've missed it, here's that word, send. I want to invite you this morning to examine yourself. We see that Jesus was sent by God. He paid for your sins. He paid for my sins so that you don't have to, so I don't have to. But the only way you receive that benefit is first to receive him and then receive his gift. We also see that as we continue to walk, that there is a path of progress, a journey, ultimately showing the same love to others. Where do you find yourself today? Where do you find yourself this morning? Are you ready to begin or begin again? Simply say this prayer with me. Say, God in heaven, I want to know you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus for paying for my sins so I don't have to. I receive your forgiveness and I choose you. I surrender everything to you. Be the Lord of my life. Be number one. And the best way I know how, I'm going to live for you with all my heart. Today, I give you my life. Father, I just thank you as we seal this time, seal this message, God, that you are going to move in lives, God, and you're, you're drawing people to yourself, Lord, to start the process, to continue the process. And Lord, for every one of us that is, is further on the progress and being on the path with you, Lord, that we'll recognize that there's a market we're still supposed to hit. 
there's ground that we're supposed to be tilling. Lord, that we're not going to miss it when it comes to what you've called us to do. Lord, that the first thing that we're going to do is not miss it in getting our lives right and, and trying to not let sin crouching at our door be there, but we're going to rise in a level of maturity. But then we're going to work our ground. We're going to then be Jesus to those around us. And ultimately, we're going to show love. Father, I give you all the glory and all the honor in this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you took that step this morning, I want to invite you to, to connect with us. And simply, you'll see it at the bottom of your screen. It's going to say, text the word NEXT to 469-289-1114. Again, that's texting the word NEXT to 469-289-1114. And we want to hear your testimonies. And, and I encourage you to invite somebody to take this journey with you. And we talked earlier about the power of two or three coming together. How awesome would it be even if those that are watching in other states and those who are watching outside of the country, get somebody to come and watch with you or email them, say, hey, text them, say, hey, church is about to start. Or, hey, I'm going to watch this. I want you to watch this with us. Let's talk about it later. And lastly, as we're closing, I, I, I just want to thank everyone that's a part of the financial success of our church and what you're doing and giving. And I, I, we're going to pray a blessing over the tithes and the offerings in just a minute. And those that are taking that additional step to, to start tithing, I believe God's doing some incredible miracles in your life. And I believe 21 days of prayer, making those initial steps that God's just going to, man, it's just going to be like lightning strike. And there's just going to be this incredible fruit in your life. And you're going to see God do some amazing things. So let's stand together and let's just pray. Father, I just thank you for everyone that has gone to our website, who's used our app and they've given to us, Lord. Lord, the ones that have gone to taking those steps to step out, Lord, they're unsure about it. Lord, your blessing will be on their life. And your, Lord, you're just opening up the windows of heaven, it says in your word, when we take those steps of obedience. Father, I thank you for everyone that sent a connection card in, Lord, that has sent a prayer request in, that's made a connection with us, Lord. Those that participated in 21 days of prayer, Lord, we continue to just thank you for all the prayers answered. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.